Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. On this episode, I'll be joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. We will break down Florida's win at Georgia. Gators get to 15-15 with the dub. We'll preview senior night against LSU. And we will also talk about the NIT and a little bit about, you know, kind of the year in review uh, as we get started towards that. Remember that the Florida Basketball Hour podcast is brought to you by the Gatorverse, an exclusive community dedicated to connecting University of Florida fans and student-athletes. Members receive access to exclusive autograph collectibles, real-life experiences, giveaways, VIP events, and rewards, while the athletes receive a majority of the revenue from sales of their collectibles. Remember, putting athletes first was a big part of the NIL project. Gatorverse is doing that beautifully. To find out more about becoming a Gatorverse member and Locker Mania, visit Gatorverse.io. That's Gatorverse.io. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, although you guys never see the video anyway, but I'm not on camera today. Uh, Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I'm with Eric Fawcett. Uh, We're going to break down Florida's win uh, over Georgia. They go up to Athens, uh, potentially the last game in Stegman Coliseum for a while. Uh, As we record this on Friday morning, they had to shut the building down. Um, Some structural issues, I guess. Kind of frightening considering they just renovated the place. Uh, no word on whether that had to do with Will Richard lighting the nets on fire, Eric. Yeah, he had, he had a great one, and I think it's it's kind of funny. We came off the last podcast talking about how you know some of the players that it's going to be kind of key for the Gators to keep around next year um, for their chances to have a, a really good team. And uh, we didn't even really mention Will Richard, which is uh, you know a little disrespectful considering how how quality of a season he's had. And um, for him, I think that it's been a lot of consistency. Um, he's been really consistent on the defensive end. He's shot pretty consistently, like forty percent for three, not on a ton of uh, ton of attempts. But then, of, of course, against Georgia, we see uh, we see that kind of explosive nature where he puts up a ton of threes, hits a bunch in a row, particularly in the first half, to give the Gators that cushion that they hold on for for much of the game. So uh, I think that's something that was 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 really good to see. Um, not a, like I, again, would you have liked to see him like? put in another four in the second half. Cause he was so hot in the first, I mean, yeah, sure. But like, I, I like to see some of that like explosive nature from his scoring and uh, particularly his shooting um, a little bit of that burst ability. Um, Cause yeah, this season he's been just like a pretty, you know, steady shooter, which is awesome. I would take steady all the time, but um, you know, if you have, you, you want to have those guys that can like win you a game and uh, you know, Will Richard hitting all those threes in the first half, someone's not going to say like, Oh, he, it's not going to feel as much like he like won the Gators the game because it wasn't like he hit three shots in the final two minutes or anything like that. But really it gave the Gators that cushion that they were just kind of able to nurse the whole game. Yeah, it really did. And then of course, when things got tight, Riley Kugel misses a dunk, Georgia scores, they cut it to a possession and, you know, Florida was one of eight in the second half from deep, but it was Will Richard that hit a huge three, got it back to a two possession lead and Florida never really looked back. Yeah, I think, too, you look and it was like, um, you know, the Gators have a good shooting game overall. 
like 37%, but it was like not a lot of attempts, only 19. And of the seven threes, the Gators hit five of them were Will Richard. So it was kind of like, you know, Will Richard was shooting the ball well and no one else was really, really getting it going. So that's another thing about, you know, some of these team shooting stats that can even be a little bit misleading. But yeah, we know the Gators are not great. Um, shooting the three um, there was one attempt from from Kyle Lofton of course he was getting dared to shoot them all night from uh, from Georgia so uh, yeah kind of still with Will Richard going going off in the first half there's always still going to be those concerns when it came to uh, to Florida shooting um, but uh, you know able to get it done a little bit going to the hoop like you said with with um, uh, with Riley Kugel who was excellent once again seven for nine from two-point range yes he missed the dunk um, but uh, you know still you love to see him able to get there and, and he's just stringing together yeah I, another outstanding game yeah no he was excellent and you know Florida's defense was the best it's been since Colin Cassidy went out how much of that has to do with what you know Mike White just kind of spacing the floor and not really doing a whole lot else um, you know I think is is a fair assessment or question Georgia did not shoot the ball well but Florida had hands and faces a lot on those threes Eric they don't go three of 19 from the perimeter but what was impressive was it looked like it was going to be same old Florida for about 10 minutes where Georgia was really getting whatever they want spacing the floor and then getting into the paint and then I thought Kyle Lofton and Will Richard in particular were excellent on the defensive end and just sort of getting into the gaps and and stopping those that dribble penetration making Georgia settle for more jump shots yeah, that was one thing that was definitely a concern for the Gators was anyone guarding the perimeter who who wasn't those two. Um, I thought that uh, Oquindo and Roberts, um, particularly Oquindo, did did really well um, every time they got a switch. Um, you know, Alex Fudge has just not looked like himself since coming back from from a concussion, and there was just some some pretty brutal moments for him in perimeter defense. Again, here's a you know six nine guy trying to match up with a six, four, you know, physical explosive first step guy. And, and, you know, of course that the centers are what they are. So there's a couple guys that were really struggling. And in the first half, I think we saw a little bit, uh, a little bit more of that. Um, but uh, yeah, there was, there was times where the Gators were just able to stay out of switches a little bit more, help out a little more in the gap. And then yeah, dare some guys like, yeah, like Oquindo when he didn't have the ball in his hands to go over seven or Justin Hill went, went one for seven. Um, yeah, we know. Everyone knows it's it's you, you know you don't necessarily need to shoot awesome to be an awesome offensive team, um, but when you're not a great offensive team to begin with and you struggle to shoot, um, that's going to make uh, make things a lot worse. So um, nice for the Gators to you know have a you know overall a pretty good uh, defensive outcome. Um, I don't think it would have helped them in the metrics too much because you know Georgia's not great offensively, but but still um from a confidence standpoint, it was nice for the Gators to to hold a team to 67 points, hold a team under a point per possession, and uh hopefully build up some some confidence here in the, the last few games of the season. Yeah, no, I mean given what what may be ahead, they're not, you know, if the SEC tournament started today, they would play Auburn, not a great offensive team. Uh they have LSU next, who's Got one spectacular offensive player, but it's not a great offensive team. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, they could play Texas A&M again, which I think without Colin Castleton will be kind of a Herculean task, to be honest. But still, not a splendid offensive team, although they have very good guards. Um, so, you know, that's – it is. It's good to see them build some confidence. And, you know, I don't know if they found something. I think that was – one of the, the sort of trending questions on Twitter. I didn't really check out a ton of Twitter during the game. Um, 
other than getting in a, a regrettable argument about Niles Lane. Sorry, Malik. And then, uh, and then, um, but, but Florida did go small and that small lineup was plus 13. What were your thoughts about that? Because you mentioned what I noticed, which was that they went small and were successful, even though Alex Fudge wasn't particularly good. I thought he took two hurried threes on the offensive end and really struggled to stop the dribble drive. Although he, he certainly contributed in the second half when Florida was getting abused on the glass early in the second half. And then Fudge, I thought, got some critical rebounds late. Yeah, I mean, we've always said that we thought this team had talent on the on the perimeter. And that's, you know, going back to the kind of overall story of this being a fairly disappointing season for the Gators, um, where we think that they probably have not played up to their potential. Um, we've always thought this team has, yeah, had good um, perimeter players. And there is a decent amount of opportunity cost to having a center on the floor you want to feature. Um, of course, Colin Castleton is uh, the guy that you have to feature. And I'm not suggesting that they, they shouldn't have. Um, but uh, it's, it's even one of those things where, when Jason Jatobo is on the floor, he's someone that you kind of like have to use offensively because he obviously is not going to provide spacing for you. Um, if he's put, you put him out on the perimeter, he's not someone who is a, a quick enough to, to really catch um, from the dunker spot and, and punish team. So he's not great in dunker spot spacing. And then of course, there's just the matter of he's not helping you in a lot of other areas of the game. So um, he's just, he's, he's kind of got to be a, a positive D or offensive player uh, to justify being on the court. So I, I kind of just did, do feel that when the Gators did have um, the small ball lineup out there and it, it just kind of allowed the, the guards to operate um, in, in a way that had a little bit more space, especially after they got that um, would get an initial step on someone. So, so that was pretty good. And it was one of those things, too, where I kind of was thinking like, you know, Georgia's not a great offensive team. So uh and and while like Braylon Bridges is you know uh, plays his role, he's not like someone that you want to throw the ball into a ton. Um, and it's like the Gators are going to get hammered on the defensive glass anyways, even with their quote unquote big lineups. So uh, yeah, why not go small and at least like do better in, in in one element of the game, or I'll say two elements of the game, be a little bit more switchable. Because that's the other thing too is just like whoever was out there at the five was was getting hunted and not doing a, a great job. And, and you know, Alex Fudge was in that mix as, as well. But, uh, you know, maybe you you trust his his ability to uh, to come over and block a shot a little bit more than, than anyone else on the roster right now. So could could hypothetically bring a little bit value, of value there. So, yeah, it's just one of those things where I, I think like at this point where things are not going great for the Gators, um, they're struggling in a couple of areas. Like you've just got to like hone in on one thing you think you can do well. And if it's like, oh, on this night, this lineup is able to get into space and, and create offense. I think you just got to ride that. Um, and uh, so I was happy to see them kind of go with that for, for a little bit and, and, and get some, some, uh, be, be positive in, in some key minutes. I'll be interested to see uh, if they go to it again, but yeah, it's definitely uh, successful in this one game. Yeah, no, I thought it was good. You know, they went away from Shimchek, which is really the only time that there were successful possessions for Braylon Bridges where with Shimchek on the floor, I didn't think that I thought Jason, you know, held his own sort of the best he's able to do. Although I did tweet that the disparity in person between Jason offensively and his sort of touch around the basket and what he is capable of doing on offense versus, you know, just his various deficiencies defensively and as a rebounder are glaring when you watch in person, especially when you're focusing on it, like for a second game in a row. Eric and I had just had a podcast where Eric asked me what it was like to watch Jatobo try to rebound in person. And, I mean, it was just as bad, if not worse, in this game because obviously there's not an Oscar Shibway character on Georgia 
And, you know, Jason is just a step late to box outs a lot. Um, he doesn't elevate, uh, which I guess you'd expect when you're 6'11", 300, but it gets to the point of why there aren't a lot of guys that are Jason's size like that in the SEC right now. I mean, you just want guys who can get up and get on the glass faster, and Jason's just not quite able to do that. So when he makes even small technique errors, which I don't think are about a lack of intelligence, they're just about being a step slow, uh, he really gets punished on on the offensive glass. And that's kind of what paced George's run in the second half. Um, and then I think Florida went small, but Shimchek only eight minutes, uh, Jatobo less because Florida went to the small lineup, but the Gators, like Eric said, they, they got a lot out of their guards. Um, really spectacular game for Myron Jones. I thought, especially as a passer, you know, I know he had the double double and people will point at that, but I thought of his four assists, like three were just spectacular passes that we haven't seen a lot of this season from, from the Gators moving the ball. Yeah. He had another one, like obviously not like on, you know, triple double watch, um, but you know, still had, of course, like a lot of rebounds and like a good assist number as well as scoring double digits. So, um, in 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 college basketball, to have like a double double with you know four assists is, is for a guard is is still pretty great. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was uh one of the better games from from Jones again for Jones to be effective while shooting one for three from the three point line. Um, that's just big. That's big time. We thought that he was yeah, going to be a pinch hitter that would come in and. Uh, let some threes fly, and uh, if they fell, it was good. And if they didn't, uh, he'd get out of the game. So to see him contributing on the glass, to see him um, contributing as a ball handler and and a passer has been great. And uh, again, is just kind of speaking to how much that, that that it felt like like things were were flowing. Where when Kyle Lofton has four assists, your point guard, you know, Riley Kugel has three assists, and and Myron Jones has four assists as um, off ball guards, um, and. Uh, then even Jason Jatobo, um, he also had three assists. So you you did have some some. It's 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 nice to see when you've got a bunch of guys with like in that three or four assists kind of range. Um, obviously, it's also great to have like one point guard who can put up you know seven or eight. But uh, to have a bunch of guys at at two, three, four, um, that's probably um, a, a sign of an offense that's that's moving the ball pretty well. And uh, um, again, you know, Georgia not a great defensive team, but still, uh, it's. For a Gator team that hasn't been able to take advantage of a lot of teams, no matter how bad they are, um, at this point of the season, to see them, you know, having one of their better offensive games from a from a process standpoint, from how they looked, yeah, that's that's positive to see. Yeah, I also thought, just generally speaking, obviously positive to to go into a place that um, you know was was relatively full um, and and win, you know, a road game after really getting embarrassed. Uh, at Vanderbilt and looking pretty hapless on on both sides of the ball to be to be quite honest I thought um, if you're not subscribing to our Patreon uh, you know that's okay we love our Patreon subscribers thank you all but um, I thought Eric's at the buzzer takes post the Vanderbilt game really summed it up I mean, six minutes of just sort of I'm not really sure what Florida's plan was offensively and, and Vanderbilt just runs such great stuff we saw it again by the way, if anybody watched the Vanderbilt-Kentucky game, like the last three possessions of the Vanderbilt-Kentucky game were just clinical from Vanderbilt. Um, they, From a spacing standpoint, from an action off other action standpoint, I mean, Vanderbilt just runs elite stuff. Georgia doesn't do that, but, you know, anytime you hold an opponent on the road to, to 33% from the field and 18% from three, you feel pretty good about your chances to win. And, and for the first time in a while, Florida competed on the glass. They 
did not win the rebounding battle, but they only lost it by two, which for this Florida team is essentially a victory. Um, as, as odd as that is to say. And I also think there's something to the, to the point of like, when you're not really schematically set up to offensive rebound, you can just look at the defensive rebound number to some extent. And Florida's won that battle by six. So, you know, that's really good. And some of that was Myron Jones' willing to, willingness to get on the glass, Will Richards' willingness to get on the glass. Alex Fudge got on the glass late, which showed me that at least when, you know, Alex wasn't playing great defense, wasn't taking good shots, he was competing, uh, which, you know, I don't think, you can say since the Castleton injury that this Florida team hasn't competed. I think they have. Um, I just think that they haven't been able to match up in a couple games, Arkansas and Vanderbilt in particular. Uh, they were on Tuesday night, and, and they're able to sweep Georgia, the eighth straight win for the program over the Dogs. Yeah, I, I will disagree on the rebounding note. I think the Gators were really bad re- defensive rebounding. They, they gave up 15. Um, it was a 34% offensive rebound rate for Georgia. So – yeah, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say that I particularly was happy with the rebounding. Um, nice to see Myron Jones kind of chipping in there. But like once again, if you're going to give up 34% of, of offensive rebounds to, to your opponent, um, league average is around 28 or 29, for example. So it actually wasn't like 15 offensive rebounds sounds like a lot. I mean, you adjust that for available rebounds and and, and pace, and it's like, okay, 34% is not as bad. Um, like the best teams in the country are like 40%. Um, but yeah, that's... Uh, just still an area where, and, and I think, again, you look up and down, up and down the lineup for, for Georgia, um, tons of different guys were getting offensive rebounds. And then like Braylon Bridges had five and like five of them were like where he, you know, single-handedly outplayed um, Jason Jacobo for this rebound, swum around him, um, just wasn't boxed out. So um, that's still an area that needs to, needs to improve. Um, will it? I don't know at this point in the season. I venture no no um, but uh, that's uh yeah i i did want to ask not that the season is, is is totally done here for for georgia um but like you said the gators get the sweep these are two teams that are um right you know near the bottom of of the sec um we can talk a little bit about the implications of florida's last game of the season because they can go up a few spots hypothetically depending on how things shake out but right now florida is 10th in the sec and georgia is 11th the Gators are eight and nine and Georgia is six and 11. So it's Georgia will not be able to, to jump, jump frog the Gators. So um, I actually, I don't think Georgia can drop either. So there's a chance that Georgia just finishes one spot below the Gators. I mean, again, we'll see how Florida's last, last game goes, but I just wanted to, I wanted to see if you had any thoughts on, you know, the first, first year of Mike White uh, in, in Georgia or how, uh, how you think that uh, that, that trajectory is going after that hire. Well, so they need one more win to have their winningest season in six years, uh, which I really don't know how to evaluate that because things have been (laughs) bad there. Um, But I also felt like there's kind of a Mark Fox 2.0 vibe to what's going on. I know it's just year one, and maybe that's really unfair to Mike and and Coach Pastrana and all those guys. But, I mean, like, they're 16 and 14, and people seemed generally content when we were in Athens this week. Uh, they're like, yeah, you know, we we're, we beat Kentucky. Uh, you know, like, that was awesome. Uh, you know, so I don't know. I don't know if – I don't know who they play this weekend. I it, It's lost on me. But if, if they win um, on Saturday, they'll have 17 wins, which, again, would be their most successful number in a, in a few years. Uh, 
they would have to make the NIT at 16 and 16 and then lose in order to have Mike's first losing season uh, in his career as a head coach. Uh, so it looks like Mike's going to have another winning season as a head coach. Um, again, Georgia hasn't had a winning season in a while. Um, so, you know, I, I would say the returns from year one are pretty positive. They were finished, picked to finish 14th in the league uh, or 13th in the league. They're going to finish, what, 11th? Um, so a couple spots above where they're supposed to be. Um, I guess they have some high-profile recruiting targets. I would say it's it's going okay. Um, I, you know, I thought I thought they did an okay job. I'm not going to say they did a great job. Uh, I think that there are staffs in the SEC that have done a great job. Dennis Gates, Buzz Williams uh, have obviously been spectacular this year, Eric. Um, but you know, vis-a-vis Florida, yeah, they lost to the Gators twice, but the Gators are going to be at best the eight or nine seed in the SEC tournament. Um, so Florida underachieves, I think, a little bit. Uh, not terribly, but I think a little bit. And Georgia overachieves a little bit. And Georgia's got South Carolina on Saturday, so they'll have that opportunity to uh, either get that win or, uh, yeah, or, or you know, end the regular season on a, on a slightly bitter note. Um, when it comes to the NIT, I, yeah, there, like, there would be no way that team would make the NIT, I don't think. just Well, I, I shouldn't say no way, but that kind of predictive. Very unlikely. Um, and I say that as someone who, you know, had to do bra- uh, NIT bracketology research uh, this morning and saw that the Gators were in most people's fields, but not as a yeah. top 16 seed. A reminder to people that the NIT is 32 teams. And it has, I don't think it's actually been announced this year but uh how they are actually bracketing it but i but the the thought that they've done the last you know several years not counting COVID or kind of counting COVID, um but uh is that they seed the first like the top 16 teams according to like the best 16 teams and then the next 16 teams they put in like like they essentially try to make the best games i kind of like it's like shamelessly just trying to make like storylines and games that will make money so like I, I'm trying to give a good example, but like the Gators would get sent to somewhere that's close to Florida or um, yeah, like against a, another high major team that would make for an interesting game. Um, but that is to say that, yes, so the Gators are in NIT bracketology fields, but they're like one of the, you know, last 16 in, they're in the bottom half. Um, whereas, you know, so if the Gators are there, Georgia would, you know, probably be well out of the field um, depending on, but again, who knows? Cause there's also teams that always say no. Florida might say no, which is a conversation I wanted to have with you on this podcast, actually. Me too. So maybe, this is the, maybe this is the time to have it. Um, but teams do drop out, so maybe that would be the opportunity for a team like Georgia to get in. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was – so that's a, that's the situation, Neil. I was looking at uh, some some NIT bracketology both yesterday and today. See the Gators as a team that is um, not even going to host an NIT game. I mean, again, we'll see what happens in – uh, the final game and then the SEC tournament. Maybe the Gators get in a position to uh, maybe they win the league and make the NCAA tournament. <laughs> or, but uh, maybe they get a couple wins and get to a protected NIT seed where they would host a game. But uh, it's probably more likely that they would not even host a game in the NIT and have to go on the road for the first round. Um, I, you know, there's no way that Colin Castleton is playing in this, even if he is available. Um, that's not sourced. I'm just trying to think logically here. And, uh, Hey, um, I know it's a new coaching staff and some new players, 
But last year, the Gators went to the NIT and looked like they could not care less about being there. Um, I, I don't think in ever watching or covering the team, again, we try not to play body language doctor or psychologists. So I've never, I like that. I've never thought to myself, wow, this team, you know, isn't playing hard or they don't want to be there until they played Xavier in the NIT, where it was very clear that no one wanted to be there and no one cared. So, you know, with all those things, thinking about how the NIT experience went last year, if the Gators um, say it is say it ends like it currently looks um, and kind of going by this NIT bracketology. And yet someone is laughing at their phone, listening to this at the concept of NIT bracketology. And I understand <laughs> that. Um, so, and the Gators would be going on the road for a first round NIT game. Do you think, do you think the Gators should say yes to that? And do you think they will say yes to that? Well, so let me say, let me answer both questions in order. Um, I think if I were the head coach, I would let my seniors vote. So let's say Florida is, you know, let's just be optimist and say Florida is 16 and 15. They go to the SEC tournament, they win a game, they lose in the quarterfinal. So they're 17 and 16. Um, I would just tell my seniors, Hey, do you want to, do you want to play another game or are you good? Um, so that's that's my answer to whether they should accept is they should do what the seniors want to do. Um, do you think that they will? Uh, I don't know. I kind of lean towards no, just shutting it down. Honestly, um, I think that for two reasons. One, I've gotten to and I, I referenced the Patreon subscribers, but this was one of the part one was free. So the whole public can go to our Patreon site and read my like initial uh, outlook at, at the roster. And one of the reasons that I lean towards shutting it down is just, I don't think Florida's, I think Florida's going to have so much attrition that like the value of extra practices and like the reason that people might say take an NIT birth, um, you know, isn't that strong. First of all, there's not really any such thing as extra practices, by the way, it's like one practice. Uh, yeah, they're not bowl games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not bowl games. It's, it's like one extra practice and like a film study session. And then you either play Monday or Tuesday before, before the first four. So like it, at the latest you play Wednesday at, at the same time, the first four is happening on like ESPN new. Um, so it's not like Florida gets extra practices for their young players, but like if you look at the Gators, like you may get Riley Kugel back. Um, uh, this is all stuff that I'm not trying to have a discussion about right now. I'm just, mm -hmm. you know, saying you may get Riley Kugel back. You may get uh, Jason Jatobo back. You may get CJ Felder back. You are going to get Will Richard back. I just say that because I don't know where he'd go. Um, <laughs> you know, you, who am I forgetting? Denzel Aberdeen. You, you might get Denzel Aberdeen back. Uh, and then after that, like, I don't know what Florida really returns. Um, so, you know, Niles Lane, hard for me to see that happening. Um, so, I mean, what value is it in, in really looking at that? As you said, I, I can source that Colin Castleton will not play in the NIT. Florida could go to the final four of the NIT and Colin Castleton won't play. He, he came back. The only way he was going to play basketball or even try to get ready to play again was for the NCAA tournament. Um, obviously, Florida would have to win the SEC tournament to go to the NCAA tournament. So, 
you know, my answer to the second question is no. My answer to the first question is, look, I feel like if, if Myron Jones wants to play another game, then the team will do that for him. That's all great stuff. And uh, it's, uh, it's interesting because I used to be, I'll, I'll say a little bit more naive and I always kind of thought, Hey, these teams should uh, kind of like you said, like, Oh, like, well, you, you implied one of the thoughts was like, Oh, you should go and uh, you know, get some extra, extra opportunities, extra practices with these young guys to give them more reps, extra, extra kind of games. And then it's like, like you said, like the games happen so quickly that um yeah, there's just not that not that opportunity to like it's not like you're getting a week of practice. Like you said, it's like one game, which essentially in this like quick turnaround is gonna turn into like, oh, you're you know, you're uh uh you're pretty much just scouting whatever team is there, which again is still, you know, a practice, but it's not like yeah, it's not like, oh, let's get a bunch of people involved. So, you know, one of my thoughts too is going to be like or could have been, oh, well, like, uh, you know, we, we always want the Gators to change up offense. Oh, if they had like another game and, and a chance to, you know, run a bunch more practices, then they could like start to experiment with a different offense. Um, but uh, yeah, it's like you get one practice. So like the situation is is going to be, okay, you get your game, you, you know, prep for it and then you head on the road. And, and again, that's the other thing too, because um, the Gators would go on, on the road. Um, I do wonder if um, – and, and again, I, I want to say this, you know, respectfully, but um, this is also a coaching staff that I think needs reps. And I do wonder if when you look at the teams that yes. are going to be at the top of the NIT bracket, like, and again, I'm not looking to have a conversation about um, <laughs> who's going to be in the field or not, but North Carolina is a team that could make the NIT and host a game. Um, if the Gators have an opportunity to go on the road at North Carolina in a postseason game, that seems like good reps. Um, if, uh, you know, if uh, it's, again, it's hard cause, uh, like Michigan, 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 again, Michigan. Michigan might Oklahoma state might like, again, I'm not saying these are like a one upper, like going to Oklahoma state. Yeah. Not the same as going to North Carolina, but still like, or like college of Charleston, if Carl's college of Charleston, who's got their building rocking, the Gators would go, could go on the road there. So like that might be good opportunities for the, for a coaching staff that has not coached a lot of games um, to get opportunities. So, and, and then of course, another answer, and I truly don't know the answer to this. And uh, I, I, I don't know, but like, you know, some coaches and contracts um, get bonuses with, if they play in, you know, these, these postseason tournaments, some of them are protected. So it's like, Oh, even if they made the bracketology or the NIT and, and said, no, that, uh, you know, they'd still get a bonus, but there could be something right. there. But um, yeah, I, I, I used to think the value is better. Oh, and then the one last thing I would say, there's going to be people, and this would have been me like five years ago. It, like five years ago, me, if, if that guy was talking on this podcast, I would say, oh, the Gators should play this game. They should start Trey Bonham. They should start Alex Shimchik. Um, You know, they should play Denzel Aberdeen 15 minutes off the bat, like, you know, and, and, and treat it as a development opportunity. And people still kind of say that I, I could be wrong. I literally don't think I've ever seen that in my entire life when a team goes to the NIT and actually uses it like, as like a true, like, Hey, Kyle Lofton, like you've played a lot of minutes. Um, well, we're going to take you off the bench. You're going to play like 20 minutes this game. We're, we're going to let Trey Bonham because he's going to be, you know, we, we hope he's going to be back and, and running the point or like, Hey, we want to get Denzel Aberdeen submit. Like, so that's the other thing too that I'm sure some people are thinking, and I it just doesn't happen, at least in, in my knowledge. Um, so um, yeah, that opportunity of it being um, being some kind of uh, 
uh, yeah, opportunity for, for like Trey bottom to play 25 minutes. Like I would kind of doubt it. So, um, overall after saying all that, I think I would say, I expect the Gators to say no. I don't feel strongly about that because I thought they were going to say no last year, <laughs> you know, last year when we, we kind of knew the situation, we knew white was, was gone. Um, long before we just kind of knew that, you know, it didn't seem like we just, we thought the team was for sure going to say no. And they said yes and surprised us and then went and won a game and then didn't look as interested in the second one. So, you know, I think I'll say no as well, but Hey, we could be surprised just like we were last year. I'd also be just genuinely interested and, and people can, you know, maybe tweet at the show or maybe you throw up a poll or something. I'd be also just genuinely interested if fans, people listening to this podcast, other fans on Twitter, uh, other fans not on Twitter. I'm interested in their opinions too. Um, what they would think, like, do you want to see the Gators? And I, I'm interested too. That's my last kind of question to you, Neil. Do you think like consensus of fans of Florida basketball would like to see this team as currently constructed play an NIT game? Or do you think that they would be content to just, you know, sh- shutter this one up for the year? Well, I, I think a lot of fans would just be content to shut it down. Um, I do think you make a great point about, about the uh, coaches you know, I, I do think that they they could use the, the repetitions as well, um, you know, and, and the opportunity, as you said, to play a road game against uh, at least a decent team. Um, you know, that that would never hurt. Uh, that said, you know, Florida is not Georgia. You know, look, I've been to a bunch of these gyms, <laughs> uh, Georgia, Vanderbilt, Auburn. Um, these are places that have, you know, if you make the NIT, you get put up on a banner. Um, Florida doesn't have NIT banners, you know. Uh, believe it or not, they did uh, about 20 years ago or so, and Billy Donovan respectfully asked the administration to take them down, and they've never gone back up. And, and so, you know, Florida doesn't put that on a banner. Um, they haven't quite reached the Kentucky or North Carolina elitist level where, like, Unless you make the Sweet 16, you do not appear on a banner. But, like, <laughs> um, you know, so it's not like they're going to memorialize this team, even if they went to the NIT and, and went on some sort of run. So, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't feel too strongly about it. I should have mentioned Trey Bonham as a guy you potentially get back next year. Uh, Alex Shimchak is a guy you potentially get back next year. Uh, I say – potentially with bottom a little more loosely than I, than I say with Shimchek. Right. Um, yeah. But, but I mean, um, again, just so much attrition, uh, you know, but maybe there is, maybe there's value to it for the coaching staff, especially, you know, if it's a, if it's a Michigan or, or, you know, I, I think Oklahoma state is a great example. Um, shoot, they match with Oklahoma, uh, you know, something, <laughs> something like that, uh, would, wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing in the world. First things first, though, the Gators have to say goodbye to their seniors uh, at home, um, as it looks like they very unlikely to play at home in IT game, which was, I think was one incentive probably to accept it last year, was just the chance for a little extra revenue. Um, and, you know, the, the chance to get Al Pinkins' first win certainly motivated the guys. But this year, uh, none of that exists. They do play LSU. Um, you know, I'll offer, like, you know, somewhat of a hot take. Like, I'm not sure if this is a great matchup for without Colin Pinson. Uh, I don't know what it is, but I would also say, like, this is a game Florida really needs to win. Like, they need to win it because Florida hasn't had a losing season in basketball except for one time this century. 
they need to win it because uh, you shouldn't lose to two and 15 teams in the league on your home floor, even when you have an injury. Uh, and I think that they need to win it to get a little momentum for whatever, you know, hopes and dreams and aspirations they have of being, you know, one of these rare teams that runs through a conference tournament. Certainly uh, it, it's happened in, in other leagues recently. Georgia Tech and, and Virginia Tech have won the last two ACC tournaments as an eight and a 10 seed, respectively. Um, it's been a while since the SEC saw it happen. Uh, Arkansas and Mike Anderson did it a few years ago. They were the last ones. Um, but, you know, that's kind of like the last reason. For me, it's more like just what's the program standard, and, and it's not to lose to a 2-15 and 15 LSU team at home. Um, so some fun with Bart Torvik, um, where you can, of course, sort uh, different times in the calendar um, to find out, uh, you know, where teams have been over a particular time period. Um, would you like to venture a guess where the uh, where the Gators are uh, – like over the where where they rank in T rank in Bartorvik um over the last six games. So that was before the Gators. That was before the Gators um uh you know lost Colin Castleton. That was uh that uh or yeah, well that would have been uh I guess the old the old miss game. Um where do you think the Gators have, have, have fared in that one? Well, I bet it's bad. I bet they're around a hundred and seventy-five. Um, so, um, not so bad actually. So, uh, they're one twenty fourth. that's 87th <laughs> on the offensive side and one ninety sixth. And then if you look since they lost Colin Castleton, um, so the last four games, um, they're 154th. So actually your guess was, was, was pretty good. 107th on offense and 214th, um, on, on defense, um, which is interesting because, um, again, we still think of the Gators as a team that's so much better on the defensive side of the basketball, but in these last games, four games, they've been significantly better on the offensive end, even if that is, uh, you know, 107th to 214. So, um, it, it is one of those, I, I, I say that to say, I'm not just trying to, to press people. Um, I haven't looked at what LSU is over the course of the same period or over the SEC play, but on the overall season, LSU is 149th in the country. So if the Gators are playing like the 154th team in the country, which I would say is somewhat reasonable, and LSU is the 149th team in the country, um, yes, the Gators would still be favored in that situation because the game is at home. But uh, yeah, it's, it starts to make this game a, a little bit scarier for sure. Um, you mentioned earlier um, that they have one um, very, very good um, offensive player in KJ Williams. I think he has just been outstanding. I think the Gators um, like saw how good he was, even though he was um, not shooting the ball well, because he was able to have 23 points while shooting one for nine from three um, KJ Williams being six ten and 250 pounds, um, someone who can absolutely get it done on the inside. And he's shooting 43% from three this year. Um, so an outstanding pick and pop player. Um, well, pick and roll like a tremendous player in the screen and game because in the ball screen game, because he can roll, he can seal, he can get the ball swung and then get a layup or he can pick and pop. He's taken, you know, 127 threes this season. So, um, you know, pretty, pretty good sample size. Um, not these like a ton of threes, but he's taken, you know, over four a game and he's shooting 43% for your, 
big bodied center that's that's massive so you got to think like he had 23 points on the gators um being really efficient from two but then going one for nine from three that could have very easily been a, a, a very very crooked game so um he is someone who i think is outstanding even though lsu has been terrible he has been awesome he's had 35 29 and 24 points in the last three games he gets to the foul line like no one's business um i think he's outstanding and it's one of those things as well like this whole lsu season has been much more like i i thought it was really disappointing um i thought that matt McMahon was going to get things i again i don't know if they're going to be a tournament team but i thought they'd be on the bubble kind of that range and um we're at the situation where yes they are you know gonna have have two sec wins one came in the first game of the season um, against an Arkansas team that was playing actually good at the time. And then they were able to get Vanderbilt here while they were just last week when Vanderbilt was actually playing good basketball. Um, but other than that, um, sitting uh, right at the bottom of right in the basement of, of, of the SEC. So uh, it'll be interesting to see exactly where their motivations are. But uh, we talked about how uh, the Gators are currently in 10th and could finish eight or ninth, depending on how things shake up if they, or if they were going to win. Um, so LSU is two and 15 Ole Miss and South Carolina are both three and 14. I don't know how the tiebreakers work. I probably should have looked at that. Um, but Hey, maybe there's a chance LSU has some of those tiebreaks. I don't know how they could, <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, at least LSU might have some kind of opportunity to not finish last in the league, which would, you know, feel, feel all right. I think so. Um, yeah, I'm curious too, if you just have any thoughts on just LSU and Matt McMahon's first year on the whole, um, before you kind of get into what you, what you want about, about this game. Yeah, I mean, I said most of what I wanted to say about this game um, in terms of, like, Florida's motivation. You know, you mentioned K.J. Williams, his offensive rating of a of 117 um, is better than anybody on Florida but Will Richard, um, who has 124. They're both in the top 75 in the country in Ken Palm and offensive rating. Um, so, you know, just a really lethally efficient player on the offensive end. And I think it's going to be a real problem for, for Florida's picks to deal with them. It'd be interesting if Florida goes small again and just tries to match his athleticism with, with Alex fudge, maybe CJ Felder gets, gets some run uh, because it's senior day. Um, who knows um, that that could make some sense too, just because of, of his, you know, he's a little bit better of an athlete and, you know, matches up a little better than certainly Shimchek or Jatobo are going to. Uh, we will see, but, but I would say, <coughs> excuse me, Matt McMahon's uh, first season is, you know, I think you have to chalk it up as disappointing. Even, even in the world where Will Wade left a tire fire where Matt McMahon had to essentially recruit an entire basketball team. You know, he also had two players from his NCAA tournament team that was in the second round at Murray state, follow him. Um, and, and they weren't able to really, well, one obviously was the other was less capable of, of making the consistent transition to power six basketball, Eric. Um, I thought they were able to coax some pretty good production late in the year out of Derek fountain. They actually have had a lead in six in their last six games of at least five points. Um, so it gives you an idea that they've been able to get ahead down the stretch. They can't hold those leads. They led Missouri by 19 the other night and crumbled. Um, so, you know, I'm a little, I'm a little both, I'm both surprised because I like what Matt McMahon does, especially on the offensive end and uh, a little bit, you know, disappointed to see that they weren't able to at least be more competitive uh, in year one. They haven't won a single road game. Um, 
that I guess could be motivation this weekend. <laughs> hey, let's go get a road win. Um, but they haven't done that. Uh, and then they had such a good start under McMahon uh, just to kind of collapse the way they did in league play without any significant injuries, I think, was a little bit surprising um, given McMahon had been so successful at, at the mid-major level, albeit not in a terrific league. But still, uh, it's unusual to see that kind of collapse. And I don't think you can blame it all on the prior coaching staff because, again, uh, in, a, in a similar vein to Todd Golden and even more so, this is the team Matt McMahon put together. Yeah, I realized I didn't even complete my thought before what I was going to say. Like, if you would have, you know, if you'd have told me that um, KJ Williams was going to be like a legit like seventeen and, and eight player shooting forty three percent from three, like it's it's actually too bad because like, and again, like front court players aren't as sexy, and LSU has been really bad. But like, there's a lot of conversation about like who has been the best transfer in, in college basketball, and there's a lot of like Kendrick Davis and Sule. Like, and again, there's like. Those guys are all great players. I'm not suggesting that KJ Williams is the best mid-major transfer um, in the country, but like he should actually be in that conversation. I've never heard him mentioned once, um, but getting like legit 17 and eight from a post player um, is pretty massive. It's too bad that they have not been able to win. So um, it's uh, I, some players have certainly not been as impactful as I would have expected. And uh but yeah, overall, still, I, I think like you like you mentioned, um, I agree with you. I think that McMahon is is excellent offensively. Um, I think he uh, runs runs really good stuff, and I'm surprised to see that their offense is is, is where it's at. Um, and uh, it's just what again, it's one of those teams that's like struggled on both sides of the floor, like kind of everywhere. And um, I do think like again, you look at the talent on that roster, like. Like again, respectfully to like South Carolina, when you look at the talent on that roster <clears throat> and where some of their transfers have came from and the roles that they were playing at previous schools, you know, respectfully, like you know, predicting them to finish at the bottom of the SEC is like that's like their talent would kind of suggest that. I, I think that that LSU's talent is a lot better than than that, and I thought their coaching staff was uh, was really good. So, um, be interesting to see where that one goes um, and see where the issues kind of um, really lie. But again, I, I if I you know, I, I still really like McMahon, so I'm I'm pretty interested to see where uh where they where they go where they go next and and how next season goes. But uh, yeah, be interesting to see exactly where motivation is. You mentioned too, they had just a soul crushing um, loss where they had a you know 19 point lead and and just let it evaporate. And it was one of those games too where like they ended up losing by five or something. So like you add in that they were up by 19 and it's not like they just like lost by by one or two. They even lost ended up losing by you know two possessions. So that's a tough one. Um, I think they're about to have a whole lot of roster turnover as well from, you know, KJ Williams is going to graduate to a couple of these guys that we thought were going to graduate or not graduate. There's a couple of guys that we thought were going to leave LSU in the portal in the first place and were unable to. Um, so I wonder if those guys are now going to be able to. So uh, that's, uh, that'll be something to watch. So uh, yeah, be, be interested exactly where, where motivations are. And um, you know, we mentioned it too. It's uh, it is senior day for the Gators, so you always got to wonder if there's going to be any of those like emotional hangover where like there's like tears like five minutes before tip. Maybe not. That's an exaggeration, but you know that you know 15 minutes before tip off, guys are getting you know frame jersey stuff like that. There's some tears. Um, I'm sure it's going to be pretty emotional, like to see a couple of these guys and in, in, in that setting and to have their families there. And then it's like, okay, now you got to play, you know, the basement team of the sec, like interesting to see exactly where, um, where guys heads are at and, and, and all that. Again, I don't know if players are dialed into like, 
hey, you know, if we're able to take care of business here and, you know, maybe win a game in the NCAA tournament, then we could, uh, you know, get a good position in the NIT. Like, again, I, I don't imagine that players are tracking that or thinking that way. So just going to be fascinating to see exactly where the competitiveness level level is. But uh, it's also a reminder, I'll say this kind of once more, talking about first the the disappointments of um, of LSU season, but also a little bit of the disappointments of, of, of Florida season. Um, you know, I mentioned before the, the year that I thought that Florida's SEC schedule was was quite favorable. And, uh, you know, I also thought that the SEC was going to be better on the whole. So the fact that we actually have found out that the SEC was not having a great year, I would have thought that LSU would have been able to compete a little bit better. And again, this is a situation where, you know, before the season, we thought that the Gators would go into a final three games of Vanderbilt, Georgia, and LSU, like hopefully battling for like the fourth or fifth seed in the SEC. And now we're, you know, talking about the eighth, ninth, tenth. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it, this could have been a very favorable situation for the Gators to go into a final game of the season against LSU. Um, not the case, but just another, uh, almost, uh, you know, a, a poetic end to the season. Uh, the regular season to be playing, you know, a team at the bottom of uh, of the league here with, you know, not significant standings um, implications on uh, on the line. Absolutely, um, and I, you know, look, uh, I was on Atlanta radio talking college basketball, ACC, SEC yesterday, and and was asked, you know, hey, Todd, what do you think of Todd Golden? You know, he's undefeated against uh, all the other first year coaches. That was what the uh, what the, how the question was framed to me. And I said, yeah, that's great. He has the best roster. Mm. <laughs> uh, you know, he he was six and oh against these guys. Well, he had the best roster, you know, because um, when they played Miss State, they had a better roster. They had Colin Castleton. So, um, you know, I, I feel like I felt confident in, in kind of that take. Uh, do I think they have a better roster than Missouri? Absolutely. Um, so you know, Missouri is going to be in the NCAA tournament comfortably. Mississippi State looks like they're going to make the NCAA tournament. They avoided absolute unmitigated disaster the other night by the skin of their teeth. Um, but Chris Jans and that team have defended consistently all season, and and Chris Jans has leaned into that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think both these coaching staffs, Florida and LSU, are going to enter this game disappointed in, in what they've been Matt McMahon because he built this roster with his, with his two hands uh, and it did not succeed. And then Todd golden, because he had a lot of influence over this roster. He had an all American caliber player. Um, and, you know, I don't think that the, Oh, well, they lost Castleton thing. is just not, I don't know if it's very persuasive to Eric or I, um, they were 13 and 12 when Castleton got hurt. It's not like things were going swimmingly. So, you know, they were going to need to go on a pretty extended run to make the NCAA tournament. So that was kind of my take. I, I will add, Eric, since we're on the subject of first-year coaches, you know, and we've mentioned a bunch of them, um, and we're going to vote for Buzz Williams as and have already for SEC Coach of the Year, uh, barely over Dennis Gates. It was a discussion that Eric and I actually had. Um, I've been impressed with South Carolina down the stretch. I mean, I think – a lot of lost in the Gigi Jackson, Brandon Miller debate is the fact that like Brandon Miller's 20 and Gigi Jackson just turned 18 and reclassified. Um, and so he had a lot of maturing and growing up to do. Obviously, Brandon Miller does, too. But for totally other reasons, we won't talk about on this podcast. Um, you know, Gigi, 
uh, and the Gamecocks have been much better uh, lately. Maybe they'll beat Georgia and, and get to show the fruits of that labor. But I thought, I think Lamont Paris's team has improved the most of every team that we, we've discussed that has a first-year coach, right? Um, I think Missouri has found ways to win and, and really lean into their coaching the best. And then, you know, I think Chris Jans has leaned into his personnel the best. And so what does that leave? That leaves Mike White at Georgia. <laughs> that leaves, you know, Mike has fixed the culture, which is what Mike does. Um, and then that leaves Golden and McMahon as sort of underachievers. That's just my take. Oh, that's a great breakdown. I would uh, I would agree with all of it. I, I do think, like, it's good that you mentioned that South Carolina has been a little bit better because, yeah, early I thought that things were – rough um i was like 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 again so so to see that the improvement i think that that's like again you would have liked to come out start the season kind of a little bit better but when you start poorly all you like to see is them you know work on things that they're struggling with and 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 improve and um that was the case i'm sure again it's it's probably still um not making a lot of people with it within the south carolina program or, or fans it's not like oh clearly we got the right guy because look how much better they got between being like one of the worst time major teams in the country to being like still one of the worst time major teams in the country, but playing better. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, I still, yeah, we, we know where they were picked in, in the preseason poll and, and um, start part of that is because they needed to get some better players in the portal and they didn't, and that's on coaching and that's on Paris as, as well. But uh, yeah, I, 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 I would agree with you that uh, I, like, I would say, I would say underachieved to Paris, but not, you know, not drastically. Right. Um, right. This was a Florida team that was in, you know, there was a lot of good national media members that had them in their top 25 to start the year. Um, I didn't agree with that at the time, but I certainly still thought they were going to be a SEC tournament team and, and one that wouldn't, wouldn't just be sneaking in there. So, um, and I also thought LSU would be, you know, a bubble team that was probably, I would have put on the right side of the bubble. So um, I was certainly wrong on, on those two. Um, but I just think that that's also kind of, you know, was, re- was relative consensus. So um, yeah, I think that that's a very fair breakdown and like, yeah. So um, well said, I have nothing to add on that one, but it's good to just like, as we get to the end of the regular season um, <laughs> where all these storylines are tying in of the Gators, just playing Mike white and about to play LSU. And uh, it's hard not to talk about how, you know, the first year has gone for all these new coaches. Well, we will get into a breakdown of this game and discuss the SEC tournament early next week. We're also going to put something out uh, either today or tomorrow morning. Um, let our Patreons know. We're going to do a, a Patreon listener question pod. Uh, so that will probably be our first season review pod as a, as a special thank you to our patrons. So we thank all of you, and I will let Eric sign us off. I apologize to anyone if there were some audio difficulties on my end today. I really have no idea what's going on with my internet, but um, yeah, Eric is a, a champ for for dealing with it. <laughs> it's just it was just probably uh, you know two minutes there of, of, of something. It wasn't great, so I hope people powered through. Um, after that, it was it was mostly good. So um, thank you for listening. Enjoy the game Saturday, everyone. Um, go Gators and keep attacking closeouts. <laughs>